and it's amazing to see like when you understand how the people think and interact and how to support them from a personal standpoint, how well they thrive professionally. Welcome back to That Vet Life. In this week's episode, I am joined by the wonderful Alyssa Mages of Empowering Veterinary Teams. In this episode, Alyssa and I focus on veterinary education and the new understanding that the teaching of clinical skills are intrinsically related to well-being in the veterinary profession. We look at today's veterinary courses and how teaching models are expanding to include elements of well-being that will ultimately positively impact the profession as students graduate. This is a conversation that is just getting started, and it is up to you to keep it going. At the end of the episode, Alyssa and I talk about ways that vet students like yourself can be a part of this positive change in your education. All right, let's jump into today's episode with Alyssa Mages. Welcome to the show, Alyssa Mages. This is, it's been a wee while since we have chatted. I feel like I say that to all my guests, but that is the trueness of the statement because we met back in the frigid, frigid north (laughs) of Chicagoland back in January at VLC. I thought I was going to pack warm enough for that. I did not. I didn't either. I was so cold the entire time. I was so glad that everything was inside the same building. Thank goodness. Although, I mean, we, we braved the weather for one dinner and that was enough for me. So I was like, that was more than enough. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> and then everybody was like, we're going to go see the bean. I was like, you're going to come back at Icicle. Bye. Have fun with that. I've done it already in the summer. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was really kind of upset that I didn't go and see the bean. I was like, uh, but maybe next year. You'll go year. back. It's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll go back. And It'll we be fine. know to layer more appropriately. Exactly. I will actually have it. Like, that's the thing. It's like I lived in ups, like the northern states. I lived in Scotland. I was not prepared for the cold that came in Chicago. Like, it's a different I beast. Guess it's a different. It's just very, I think it was the wind more than it's anything. right off the lake. So yeah. it just, and it gets into your bones and then you're done. Yeah, because like even in Scotland, the it was really windy there in the winter too. Like you get these nasty storms that are coming mm. around, and of course it's an island, but it was just like it was like a damper heat uh, cold. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know how to describe it, but anyway, we're just kind of yammering on about now about <laughs> coldness, and everyone's uh, at this point has turned off the episode. So if you are still here, thank you yes. first off. Um, <laughs> so Alyssa and I, we were kind of chatting before this. We were like, what are we actually going to talk about? That was the first problem that we had. We didn't quite have a topic, but Alyssa came up with this as we were talking. You came up with this idea about clinical training and how it is closely intertwined with well-being. And we just kind of stopped and we're like, oh, we could go on and on about this one. Let's unpack this. But let's unpack this. So Alyssa, take it away. Like, what is this idea? Well, it's kind of looking at ourselves, you know, if, if you look at the words personal and professional, you cannot spell professional without personal. So you cannot take your own self out of the equation when you go to work because you can't do your job without being who you are. And you take that a little bit further when you're looking at doing growth and development within the veterinary practice. And if you don't do it with the approach and the mindset of intention and awareness, number one, it's not going to work. And number two, people are going to be like, whatever, that's not applicable to me. But if you also look at it from an application standpoint, if your well-being, like your mental health is not in a good place, then your clinical acumen goes down. Then in turn, if you're not able to do your job appropriately or execute it in a way that you want to, your mental health suffers. 
and their whole well-being. So it's this not vicious cycle, but it can be if it's not addressed appropriately. So when, you know, with the work that I do being a CBT and then going into the training and consulting realm is developing programs that intertwine and interweave well-being with clinical skills. So making sure that we train the skill, but you coach the person. And you approach that from a very holistic standpoint and not the, not the woo woo holistic, although that's appropriate too, (laughs) but (laughs) W H O L E holistically, right? Mm -hmm. So figure out how people learn, figure out what their EQ is, understand what their communication style is, and then apply it to the programs you develop. And it's amazing to see like when you understand how the people think and interact and how to support them from a personal standpoint, how well they thrive professionally. That is everything in a nutshell. And there's so much to unpack there. Oh, gosh. How long do we have? (laughs) I know. I'm like, we do not have enough time for this here. Okay. Okay. So we're talking to vet students primarily then. How does this apply to them and their veterinary schooling? Oh, well, it's kind of like when you look back and you wish that you had those courses that taught you how to actually live life instead of, you know, oh, let's, you know, bake a cake and home ec, right? And my undergrad experience, you know, I'm coming from the, the technician side of things is vastly different than what you've all gone through. But similar enough that I didn't have any financial planning and I didn't understand what burnout and compassion fatigue were. And what is this mental health and therapy you speak of? So it's really, I think, to have that sense of awareness going into it and looking at a curriculum change. We're working with several organizations to do that, is to craft courses and full tracks within veterinary school curricula and vet tech school curricula that addresses this of how to be a human. (laughs) Because, I mean, we all get into vet med for the animals, absolutely, but it comes with people, right? We have to work with humans and our patients typically can't drive to the hospital. So Typically. Yeah. There's a couple dogs that I've seen I'm that sure. have been taught how to use a bike. And they can skateboard. I've seen some really talented bulldogs out oh, there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But really knowing how to work the human construct is vastly important. So to have that, you know, if you don't have it in school, well, let's figure out how we can have that in place and structure it and standardize it so it's there for you when you come out. As I'm hearing this, I'm thinking about some of the studies that were done recently comparing final year vet students or people who have been out in the practice for a year compared to those who are in first year. There's like there's a completely different mindset. And at least one of the challenges I came up against when I was trying to have the conversations about how do we implement this in my own vet school, it was that first year vet students just don't this is going to sound wrong, but they just don't care the same way that a fourth year or a new grad cares about communication, about well-being. Mm. And to a degree, I can understand that. Like When you start in vet school, you're just thinking about like the medicine. You're thinking about anatomy. How do I learn as much as I can? I mean, heck, on Instagram, I have all these students that are pre-vet students. They're in undergrad. And they're like, what are the vet books that I need to be reading right now? And I'm like, none of them. I don't care about that right now. You should not care about that right now. But that, like, that's where my mind was. I remember being on placements and um, as a pre-vet student or when I was in an internship before vet school and all the vet students would come in shadow and I would ask them, I'd be like, what is something you wish you had learned in vet school or before vet school? And so I was just so worried about that. And so I get it. Those first year students, they just don't they just aren't in that same frame of mind. And granted, if you are listening to this and you are a first-year vet student and you do care about these things, please let that be known. (laughs) Like, that's what we need. But 
how do we as professionals bring that awareness to them? Because granted, we're not in their shoes right now. It's harder to speak to them or with them um, about these things. So how do we bring that conversation to light for them? Mm, That's a really great question. And I think it comes to it with perspective, right? Because we don't want to be like, well, back in my day, because that doesn't ever go over well. Never goes well. And it's that recognition of like, look, things have changed. I mean, the past 20 years that have been rolled into two, right? Like these, you know, COVID years have been wicked intense. And they've brought to light the deficiencies that are in every industry, not just veterinary medicine. But these are real things. And if we address them early, like if you guys in your first year are like, hey, I'm not going to put up with this and I'm going to make this change, then that sets the tone. And I think that's the approach we have to take is like, you guys are in the driver's seat of this. You can make these changes because this is all about you. You're at the beginning of your journey. And if you decide which path it's going to be and the routes you're going to take and how you're going to get there and the tools you need, then we have to provide those in order for the whole industry, you know, as Quincy Hawley says, not just survive, but thrive. I really think it's just giving them like, look at what you've got in front of you. Like all that you have, you get to set this. You get to make these decisions. Let us help you make the ones that are going to keep you in this and not, you know, getting to graduation in your second year in practice and going, I'm done because that's what we're seeing happen. That is so true. And as I'm hearing you say this, I'm like, okay, I can see this starting to happen in some schools. Like just the other episode, I talked with April Kodrovich about communication and mm-hmm. how it's intertwined with well-being. And so that approaches it from the one standpoint of people who have been in practice and they kind of see these issues and they said, oh, let's change things in the education. So let's go back in time and go back to these schools and make changes there. But the other side of that equation is actually having the students have the realization about what, in a way, what they think they need. Granted, they don't necessarily know because they haven't, they don't have the experience of being in practice and seeing the problems. So it really is a two-sided conversation, as most conversations should be. Well, well, yes, but sometimes um, they're... (laughs) They're not. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, So it really is how do we bring these two groups, the people who have all of this experience and have seen these problems and have an idea of how to implement change. And then also from the other side, the people who have yet to have those negative experiences or yet to be in the profession, but want to be a part of the change. So it really is tying in both sides. And that I think that's where the biggest challenge has been occurring because like you said so many of the times they come in and they're like well back in my day and that immediately shuts them off they're like I don't want to listen to this person they don't get me they don't understand where I'm at right and that is where I feel like I'm in a little bit of a sweet spot because I'm not so far out of vet school that I don't know what's going on but I'm also far enough away that I can stand on my own two feet clinically. I've experienced um, some of those hardships that happen in practice. And I, I can look back at my schooling and say, hmm, well, that's a gap I wish I could have filled in. I mean, I guess like, like it's a little bit of a sweet spot where I am right now. And oh, so sure. I'm looking at it and I'm like, what is the change that not necessarily personally I as a single individual can make, but about my cohort of veterinarians. Like, what is the kind of change that we can instigate 
by, I know, I said like the, the thinking fingers are happening here. Like, what is it that we can do for these vet students? And we've kind of alluded to it is like, how do we go back and help implement change in this curriculum? And that's where I feel like we're starting to come around to in the conversation to talk about, okay, this clinical training it's intertwined with well-being. Now we have the two sides of the conversation that want to come together. They want to make a difference. So what does that actually look like when those two teams come together? It's amazing when it happens. And I've been really fortunate. I have an even different perspective, right, being on the technician side of things, because I watch both of your cohorts. And sometimes it's like that cataclysmic, and sometimes it's like, this is amazing. So I watch the This is Amazing really clear, carefully to see. Sorry, my daughter's name is Claire, and every once in a while, Clarefully just flows in there. <laughs> she hates it. It's been a really awesome experience to be there. And what I've discovered is you bring that energy from the younger group that is just like, they're so gung-ho. They want to learn. They want to do. And you have these seasoned vets, pun completely intended, that are like, okay, young guys, this is where we're at. And when you have that energy and this calming force, it's like, okay, bring the strengths here and the strengths here and fill in the gaps that are missing from either side. And where that comes into play is you start everyone, regardless of what their status and experience is at the same foundation, right? So if we're looking at when you come into practice, and I know I'm going on a different route, I'll get back to education, promise. Once you have that standardized approach to growth and development for every team within a practice, doctors included, that gives everybody like, oh, we're all starting here and this is how we grow and develop together, all right, individually and then as a cohesive unit. Awesome. So having developed that, then my team went back and was like, how can we make sure that, that that's not an anomaly and that's not something so foreign to people? Well, you've got to also not just look at the first years, but you have to have like a common thread throughout of like, okay, so to your April's point, communication is where it all starts and where it all falls apart. I'm so over people calling these soft skills. There's nothing fluffy about an angry client. Nothing soft about that at all. They're human skills. We forget our humanity. And that's, you know, I got into the profession to be the voice for the voiceless, the animals, despite, you know, the snow dogs that wake up from anesthesia not voiceless at all. <laughs> you know, that, that howl, they, they're singing oh, to their goodness. people. But what's happened is the team has lost their voice. Okay, how do we find that again? And that common thread is throughout every year of, you know, through university and then into vet school and beyond. So what is missing? It's tapping into the why. You know what you're doing and you're good at it, but why are you doing it? So, you know, we scoff at Psych 101 and communication and composition and all those fluffy things. But if you integrate that and give it real-world experience, you know, all the work you do that's evidence-based and, you know, with Dave, Nickel, and all of the, you know, Addy with MentorVet, we're an evidence-based profession. Well, guess what? There's science behind this, too. <laughs> and if you can put that into an experiential setting, so if you have communication studies that are focused on client interaction and de-escalation between team members and make it relatable with a medical spin, it stays because you have that clinical spark with it, but you're feeding it with the well-being, communication, awareness, intentionality, mindfulness, because you apply it to, all right, if you're heading into a euthanasia of a puppy 
or a behavioral euthanasia, those are really hard, right? And Or you have a, a financial situation with clients that can't afford it. How do you have that conversation? How do you prepare yourself? It is the 14th awful procedure of the day. What do you do? So make that real-world experience tied in both clinically and from a well-being standpoint, and it will cement in and it will take it through. And that's what we're working on with actually a couple university programs is like, this is what we need to, don't take away the courses, add this in. You already have it. Just put that part of it. Like you need to have a module of well-being. And that's a, it's a trendy phrase, right? Everyone's like, oh, well-being. It's not all yoga and spa treatments, guys. <laughs> and we know that, right? You know, <laughs> but it's really when I'm talking about well-being, I'm thinking about from how are you speaking not just to each other, but to ourselves. What's your inner dialogue, right? Imposter syndrome is a thing. And how do we address that? Again, when you are going into a new practice or you're heading into your first solo thoracotomy, this is how you relate it back. And when you can have that personal relativity and then intertwine it, it makes sense. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VEDEX. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VEDEX community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetxinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. I'm just sitting over here and my jaws on the floor and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love every single bit of this. <laughs> but the thing that I keep coming back to is like, how, how do we actually implement this? Because, A cohort. Ah, it is so, it's great to talk about these things, but I, I want to get into the nitty gritty of like, what is step one, two of three, Got one, it. two and three of getting this into a school? Like, how do we do this? So the first one, I made the decision to leave uh, clinical practice in June of 2020. Not the best timing. <laughs> <laughs> but it ended up being so because we were in such a virtual space, I spent six months networking. And just what's the worst thing someone's going to do when I introduce myself on LinkedIn or another platform? Just ignore me. No one really did. And so now I have these connections and I'm fostering these conversations and getting in the rooms with the decision makers. And that's where we're at. So we need to get, you know, yes, we need to have AVMA. We need to have AHA. We need to have the big money guys like IDEX and, and Mars. And Ethos Vet Health has an amazing thing that they've been doing with IBM with the, the blockchain learning. Have you seen that whole? I, I haven't yet, but I want to I learn more about it now. It's fantastic. So essentially, it's like your digital wallet, right? So it's a competency-based learning model. And so when you've done this certificate program here, it stays. When you've completed your program at Purdue or App State or one of those other universities, 
you have that and you take it to your employer and it's like, this is what I'm capable of, you know, check, 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 check. And so that way it gives that sense of confidence and skill is provable, right? So there's your evidence base. So what we're in the process of doing, so step one is network and find like-minded people. Step two is bring them all together and say, this is what needs to happen and let's make the plan. And step three is you've got to, this is a problem with people and change, right? And vet med's like, you know, like the cat in the corner, like, don't even, don't even bring that new medicine to me. <laughs> but it's starting to shift because we're realizing, hey, guys, the pet population tripled. Our professional population is dwindling. If we don't do something by 2030, we're screwed, right? So the people that have the money and the decision-making powers are, oh, yeah, you're right. How do we fix that? And the idea people, which I'm fortunate enough to be a part of a lot of these conversations now, are like, this is what we need to do. Okay, how do we do it? Standardized approach, right? So I know people are like, oh, evaluations and checklists. Yes, I understand, but it's digital. You can do it on an app on your phone. That's not hard, like, right? Because you know how our teachers used to tell us you can't have a calculator everywhere you go? Sorry, I have an iPhone. So Exactly, right? I do. <laughs> right there. All of you Android people, you have one too. And to really make sure that you and I were talking earlier that we're not in a vacuum, right? VetMed exists in a world that has other issues too. So we have to be very cognizant of that one thing cannot be separate. Again, like well-being and clinical skills. We can't take away that that well-being approach is different for everyone, you know, especially our, you know, our black friends and other people of color and LGBTQIA community. We have to be very aware that their personal and professional lives have a different feel than the rest of ours that don't identify with those groups. So network and find the people, make them all sit at the same table and get a plan that's standardized and universal and start easing it out, right? It's like a phase process. So here's phase one. These are the changes. And if you look on AHA's guidelines, there's a new one for mentorship. That wasn't there before. Yep. Going back to that, that's the actual thing. If you go through there, that can help you develop your mentorship agreement and your contracts. Just a little side note there. Which is fantastic. And I think that's what a lot of us do when we graduate. We get into a practice and it's like the, you're a deer in headlights. Like, welcome to the team. Have a great day. And you're like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> Right. And all of you new grads out there gravitate to a technician, right? Like I love me some baby docs, right? Because it's like you have all this amazing vet school knowledge that I want to feed off of and I want to give you the experiential so that you can do all this stuff and you're the doctor that can tech your way around the room too. And it's really just having that whole W-H-O-L-E-istic approach. Find the people, get them to the table. Here's the plan. Phase it out. I love it. I know you mentioned like there's some schools that you put this in. Can you say which schools that you've been talking to or is that? Well, they're out there doing it. So, I mean, not just with us, but Purdue University is like a pioneer with this, right? They're working very closely with um, VetBloom and IBM and Ethos Health and really, really developing this robust program. Appalachian State is a new vet tech program that is all online, right? Wait, how does that work? All of you guys that are listening, because they're going to need veterinarians and, and students and stuff to teach, it's pretty cool. And it's linked into NC State because it's in Boone, North Carolina. So it's a four-year pro. It's a bachelor's degree in veterinary technology. Yeah. So you can be on the ground for some of the courses, but most of it is virtual because that's our life. And then you tie it in and partner with a, a practice to get your clinical Okay. That's where I was wondering. Absolutely. I was like, how do you learn to place a catheter through a screen? Well... 
I can actually teach you how to do that because I make models and I've taught my business partner who's an engineer. And if she, I can teach her who's never held a catheter in her life, I can teach you. Okay. Right? It's okay. fun. That's pretty cool. It's really, it's how you approach it, right? Because if you have, it's the muscle memory and it's then coaching that person. All right, watch your angle. Make sure that your fingers are relaxed here. Okay. Make sure the angle is appropriate. Did you get the bevel? All those kinds of things. So those are the two that I know the most because I've been hearing those in the conversation. But I mean, there's loads of other programs that are, are starting to open up to this. That's the thing is it, it starts small and we're all frustrated and we want change to happen now. It can't, right? I mean, think about like erosion. It's a, we're not going to take that long, guys, promise. But you know, to break away and to chip away at the old institutions, it takes time. But if you look at the things that are happening in the DEIB space, right, we've got a person of color, finally, is a diversity, chief diversity officer. What? Because a lot lately, it's been white women that are benefiting from that. Not exactly what we're going for here, right? And looking at the gender pay gap, okay, yeah, it's not in vet med, but look what the uh, women's national team in soccer just had happen. Huge, right? Massive. So it's like... It's coming, right? You can just, I don't know, Mariah, do you get a sense of that? You can feel it. Like the energy is different. There's something coming here. Yeah. Yeah. And we've put up with a lot of crap for a long time and we're not going to do it. You know, we're not going to take it. So, and that's, if you can find a silver lining in the horrors of the past, you know, especially the past couple of weeks, it's that, okay, we're not putting up with this anymore. Stuff has to change and we're going to be near and not silent. And so then how are we... With all this change that's happening, and, and again, it, like you said, it's slow. It doesn't happen overnight. How are we measuring um, the impact of this? So, like, we're like, okay, mm. this is when we instituted it. This is the change we're seeing now. This is what we're anticipating happening in, like, two to five years. The lovely metrics, right? And how are you going to, like, what's the um, validate what you're doing, right? So it's really tricky in terms of, like, training and education and integration of well-being because it's kind of like sales and marketing, right? You can only, you know that the marketing's working because your sales go up. But are there hard and fast numbers that, from the work that we've been doing? Not yet. But you really have to get, you know, this is where Ivan Zach with Galaxy, he's done a lot of good work with that, too. If you look at, there are qualitative numbers to burnout and compassion fatigue, and how can we measure that? Well, yeah, it's surveys and it's making sure that when people clock in, you can get a sense of where are you at today? And we have to implement those kinds of things. And again, yes, it's something that we have. It's one more thing that we have to do. But if it's going to improve your day-to-day and the profession's day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year and longevity, it's worth it. So it's going to be evaluations. It's going to be surveys. It's going to be doing, you know, checking in on your ROI, your return on investment and what that looks like. And really what that comes down to is what's your turnover, right? What's your percentage rate looking like? Are you focusing on recruitment or on retention? Why are people going to want to come work there and stay? And what does that mean, right? What is your bottom dollar covering here? So if you look at, you know, when you have a new grad come on, I, you know, doctors, as you should, make more than technicians do. So what does that look like to train a new doctor versus, you know, keeping them on? It's a year salary and a half. That's what it costs Ooh, to replace. It's a big number. It's a lot of money, right? Ooh. Because you have to take into consideration not just that person, but the time of the other people to train them. 
right? And then if you don't have enough people, that patient to caregiver ratio is a thing, you know, more than, you know, one caregiver to three patients, and you're looking at a decrease in 60%, right? Your mistakes happen. It's, it's not good. So there's a lot of numbers out there that back up what we're saying. And of course, I don't have any of them right in front of me, but they are, no they are there. I put you on the spot. So it's really, it's to make sure you have, it's not necessarily the quantitative, it's the qualitative, right? And literally get a read of the room. You know, we're trained to do that when you're triaging your, your patients, triage your team. And I think that's part of it too, is as simple as changing the vernacular, right? Not your staff, not your coworkers. Any of us that have done a code on a chihuahua, we are way closer than coworkers. Like we are up in our people's <laughs> business, right? And even if you're not doing CPR, like when you're working together, like on a, a spicy burrito, right? You have to be able to trust your team and say it that way, right? I'm not a huge fan of the work family because I like to keep work and family very separate, but that is a sense of it too, right? You are very close. So it's really got to, how are we going to treat each other to make sure that that maintains? Oh, gosh. I feel like we've done a pretty good job of breaking this down from where we started about 30 minutes ago. Has it been that long already? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right? It doesn't feel like it. But (laughs) oh, goodness. We've just barely scratched the surface, quite honestly. So I want to take a couple of seconds here and just say, okay, so we're talking to vet students primarily. Yes, there are new grads. Yes, there are practice owners and medical directors that are listening to this. But for the vet students, like what are three actionable or even two actionable things that if they are a first, second, third or fourth year here that they can do in their university that helps them be a change maker? Ooh, that's an awesome question and so easy to answer. Get involved in your SAVMA chapters, right? And, you know, the the VBMAs, they're a fantastic way to get your feet in there. Look and see if you have a voice chapter there. Reach out to MentorVet and Pausibilities, right? There's all these different avenues that you can ask for a mentor while you're in school. The Pausibilities is free. I know MentorVet is different. That's geared toward new grads primarily, but just pay attention, right? But your SAVMAs and getting involved in things, what's your why beyond vet med, right? You're not going to do that all day, every day. You shouldn't. So what are some other on-campus activities that are going to give you that sense of community, find the theater group, you know, who loves to go dancing? Like, okay, paddleboarding, maybe not in Pennsylvania so much, but there are rivers and lakes. It works. So find your external whys and feed that other part of you that's not just veterinary. Because just like we said, like, even your clinical training, but your well-being is intertwined with it. So finding ways to take care of yourself outside of vet med will help you practice those skills for when you do actually graduate. So Oh, gosh, I'm like filled with happiness after that conversation. I'm like, I love this. Let's go for it. Like, let's all march forward. Let's let's make this change. I'm ready for it. So I'm going to leave it there for people to kind of chew on. And, and if you want to guys, if you guys want to ask questions, feel free to message me. Be Feel free to message Alyssa, which then we have to tell people like, where can they find you? So this is the perfect time to segue and talk about your jam, EVT. So tell us about that. So EVT is our acronym because vet med for empowering veterinary teams. And it is a company that I co-founded in 2020 to focus on the support teams within veterinary medicine. But that means supporting doctors too and students because I love learning. So we're on every social platform. Just if you Google empowering veterinary teams, you can find us, um, empvet team. Not the greatest handle. I know we're working on it. So we're on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. We're all over the place. And hello at empvet.team is our email. And you'll get a a live person, promise. 
That's awesome. And so if you guys want to go and find out more about everything that we just talked about, go and find out more about EVT, like go and message Alyssa or someone from the team. They are incredible. And I, I honestly like that is an honest statement. They are incredible. So thank you so much for coming on here and just like recharging us for wanting to make some change, wanting to remind us about the importance of well-being within our clinical training from an education standpoint and from transitioning into practice. I know this is something that a good number of vet students have reached out about. We just haven't had a good way to power them forward. So I think this is a good place to start. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a delight to hang out with you again, even in the virtual space. <laughs> even in the virtual space. And who knows, maybe someday we'll be back at VLC hanging out together again. But yeah. until next time, y'all. See ya. Bye. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life.